Richard Parfuse couldn't believe it. It was the stupidest decision the citizens could have made. They had gathered here as a community in October of 1198 to vote on something important. The question was war or peace. Richard Parfuse belonged to Cologne's upper class and was presumably already an Jew a juror at the time. So a member of the citywide body of rich men from Cologne who administered the city on behalf of the archbishop. Later, he was even to become mayor of the Richardseche, the brotherhood of the rich who were to wield power over each other in the city, whether locally in the wards or in the college of jurors. But here in 1198, Richolf was not yet mayor and as I said, he was horrified by what had just been decided here. They, the citizens of Cologne, had actually spoken out against neutrality and in favor of war in the dispute over the throne that shook the Holy Roman Empire from 1197 onwards. A conflict that was to last for years. 20 years. And with that, welcome back to the History of Cologne, a podcast about the history of the city of Cologne that is over 2,000 years old, but until it became what it is today, this old city on the Rhine is endured a colorful and rich past, hence it can therefore be seen as quite the microcosm of European history. In this podcast, you can listen as the city grows from the Romans up until our present time. Who holds power in the empire after the death of the Hohenstaufen Emperor Henry VI, who died far too early and unexpectedly in Sicily in 1197 at the age of just 32? At the height of his power at the head of a new planned crusade, Henry VI did have an heir and had him proclaimed co-king during his lifetime, but his son Frederick was only three years old and as king in distant Sicily, far, far away from the empire, he was under the control of the pope, who didn't really like him that much. So the pope forced him, Frederick II, only, be, only being three years old, to turn down the title so that he could rule as king in Sicily, but not as the new king and emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. The brother of the deceased Henry VI and uncle of the still young Frederick II, Philip of Swabia, declared himself ready to rule as the new ruler of the empire. So, general, in theory, everything is okay. Not quite, because someone else claims the throne for himself. Someone who has the support of England. What has England to do with the empire, after all? We will look into that. And even the Pope. And who is his biggest supporter in the empire itself? Right, the city of Cologne. Let's break up this European tussle for the crown of the empire, two men fighting for the crown directly after the intro. The Holy Roman Empire was so often unlucky in the High Middle Ages. While the members of the Capetian dynasty usually lived long and prosperous in France, the, dynasty, the dynasties in the empire of the Holy Roman Empire often died out and their rulers, with a few exceptions, often died far too early. The same applies to Henry VI. He died far too early in 1197 at the age of 32, only at the height of his rapid rise to power, 
due to his wife Constanze, he had been granted rule over Sicily, the island in the south of Italy as well, albeit not all encompassing rule, and thus virtually surrounded the papacy in central Italy. In the north, even in northern Italy, there was territories that belonged to the empire, with Milan, for example, and now in the south, the southern, uh, so the shoe tip of Italy and the island of Sicily were under Hohenstaufen, so the imperial control, and this circumstance that the Pope thought that he was circled in by just one sole medieval ruler, this circumstance was to be important for future events. Then, very uncharacteristically for this, for his time as a ruler, Henry VI had been immensely rich. In that, brace yourself, together with Duke Leopold V of Austria, he, so Henry VI, had captured or more kidnapped, the English king Richard the Lionheart. In 1192, on his return journey from the Holy Land to his homeland in England, they, so Leopold of Austria and Henry VI, took 100,000 marks of silver from him as ransom. That's, listen up guys, that's about 23 tons of silver and both divided among themselves. Among other things, this sum was the impetus that was to turn Vienna, until then a rather tranquil residence, into a European metropolis that it, that it is still today a metropolis. He, so the, um, the emperor, made the English king Richard the Lionheart a vassal of the empire who received England as a thief from the emperor. Crazy, isn't it? But that's how it was. This put the empire in a comfortable position now at the end of the 12th century. The Holy Roman Empire was now allied with England and France. Well, you know, England was forced into it, but that's a, that's a really comfortable position because England and France had been at war with each other for almost the entire Middle Ages, and now, at that time, the emperor could always choose the better ally at that moment and support the other and support the other if it's uh, convenient. And when Henry VI now died so young in Messina in Sicily in 1197, the young emperor probably wanted to conquer not only Jerusalem, but also the entire Byzantine Empire. But as already mentioned, this did not happen. Like so many rulers of the empire, Henry VI died after far too short a reign. So. Question that you all might have. What does Cologne have to do with all of this? The early death of the Hohenstaufen Emperor opens up some old wounds in the Empire and in Cologne, but also encourages others to take new action. A power vacuum comes to light, which various individuals or factions seek to exploit. As powerful as Henry VI had been, he had not been uncontroversial, let alone successful at all. One point that made the succession in the empire more complicated was the question of how to find a new ruler. Henry VI had looked enviously over to his ally France. As already mentioned, the Capetian dynasty there had produced long-living and above all child-rich rulers for a long time. While the direct power of the French king had been limited to the region around Paris around the year 1000, the Capetian dynasty now had all the princes largely under its control, 
and the former election of kings by the princes of France had been replaced by a hereditary monarchy. In other words, if a French king died, the next male heir from that dynasty automatically became the new French king. Before the Capetian had, to, had managed to, to do that with a hereditary monarchy, they had to uh, get the approval of the Assembly of Princes of France. This system of elected monarch was still in use in the Holy Roman Empire, and many emperors had to invest a lot of time, money, resources, and promises to get their own son to be the next king and then emperor of the empire. And Henry VI, he wanted now to change that. He therefore, so Henry VI, therefore also attempted to establish a hereditary monarchy in the empire. However, the clamor was great and the princes of the empire felt that their centuries-old right to play a decisive role in the election of a new ruler had been violated. And, of course, they always wanted to get that nice money and more privileges um, when electing a new king. Henry VI suffered a political defeat there because he was not able to get his will and to establish a hereditary monarchy. He failed in that point and the long-term effects were not really great for the Hohenstaufen dynasty because now they were received as uh, a dynasty that wants to take control of everything and take uh, princes' privileges and rights away. And that's another reason why... After the death of Henry VI, uh, yeah, the situation gets difficult. The Archbishop of Cologne is one of those who is concerned about the participation of princes in the election of a new ruler. In 1197 and the following years, this man, the Archbishop of Cologne, is Adolf von Altena. And I know for English listeners, the name Adolf might sound, let's say, familiar to you, but... Up until 1945, it was a very common name in Germany so, and in Scandinavian uh, countries as well. So be prepared to hear of some Adolfs in this podcast over the next few years. So this Adolf, Adolf von Altena, I will pronounce his name in German. Uh, this Adolf of Altena and the city of Cologne will really contribute to the fact that the dispute over the throne will last for almost two decades in the empire. But we will get to that after a short break. So, Henry VI is dead in the fall of 1197, and a new king and emperor is needed. Frederick II, who had already been elected king a year earlier during his father's lifetime, was far far away and far too young, and the Pope had forced him, or better said his, um, his mom, um, to um, not abdicate, but to put his claim to the front of the empire side so that he can still be the, the king of Sicily, because the Pope doesn't want to get encircled by Hohenstaufen kings. So, the supporters of the Hohenstaufen dynasty therefore urge Philip of Swabia, the brother of the deceased emperor, to seek the crown, which he reluctantly accepts because he wanted to get his... Uh, what is that? Cousin? No. I'm so bad in family uh, relationship things. If it's, Is it a cousin, nephew, whatever? But yeah, let's just continue. The, the uncle of 
Frederick II and the brother of the deceived king or emperor Henry VI, he reluctantly accepts to uh, throw his head into the ring to become the new king and then emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. So the question is, and let's refresh our knowledge on this topic here, how does one become king and later become emperor in the Holy Roman Empire at that time? As I said, we do not have a hereditary monarchy, but an elective monarchy. And who elects the emperor? The princes and magnates of the empire. It was a colorful bunch of secular and spiritual rulers, bishops, dukes, counts, abbots, whatever. But they all have one thing in common. They all have power and money. But then you also need other things. And sorry, I'm trying to simplify this as much as possible. But what you still need is uh, the right people, so the people who vote for you. You need the right place, the right people to crown you. That's another thing. You get elected, and then you need the right people to crown you as well and anoint you, and the right insignia of power that you need for a royal election. You know, that city sword and round thing in your hand, and you know what I mean. Once you have all this, you turn to the Pope, being already the king, and then when going to Rome or inviting him to you, you convince him with words, money, most of the time, or even military force, that he should also appoint you as the emperor. Translatio Imperii, too long of a topic to discuss now. Google it or listen to all the episodes to learn more about that. Why the Pope is the one making you the emperor. So, question. Where was the right place to be elected as the king of the empire? At that time, it was Aachen. And who is, do you know, Aachen, the place where Charles the Great, or Charlemagne, as you say in English, which I don't understand, um, had his favorite residence. And is only one hour away from Cologne by car nowadays. And who invited people to such a royal election? Conveniently, at that time, the Archbishop of Cologne, Adolf von Alt of Altena. But why him? Well, the Archbishop of Mainz was on a business trip to the Holy Land, and the Archbishop of Trier was persuaded by Adolf von Altena to let him do the job. As a small expense allowance, the Trier chief shepherd had, of course, asked for a little something from his Cologne colleague. It's only natural, guys. Then the matter is clear. The Hohenstaufen. Philip of Swabia, Guy, only has to go to Aachen and be made king by the Archbishop of Cologne and get elected by the princes and magnates, of course, at, that, at the same time. But you still remember the last episode, don't you? Cologne, whether city population or archbishop, well, they had not had the best relationships with the Hohenstaufen dynasty in recent times. The Hohenstaufen dynasty had become addicted to power in their eyes, and shouldn't this opportunity now not be used to elect someone else? Someone who was not so greedy for power in their eyes? This was not only the wish in Cologne, but in many parts of the empire. The Archbishop of Cologne in particular had to fear that the next Hohenstaufen king and then emperor would surely try to establish a hereditary monarchy again. This would have significantly diminished the outstanding importance of the Archbishop of Cologne as a kingmaker in imperial politics and many other 
magnates of the empire feared that as well, that their role would be diminished when the next Hohenstaufen ruler would be a strong leader. Adolf of Altena, together with his purchased ally, the Archbishop of Trier, also intended to put forward their own candidate. And they thought they had found one. Berthold V of Zeringen. You don't have to remember that name. Just remember that they wanted to push their own candidate through. And just like Philip, the Hohenstaufen pretender to the throne, this Berthold also came from Swabia. Adolf of Altena invited him, Berthold of Zeringen, to Cologne on March the 1st, 1198, so that he, Adolf, could elect him as a king or crown him as a king. Berthold had one thing in particular that could make his election possible. Money. A lot of money. And that was also needed to outdo a rich Hohenstaufen candidate like Philip, because the Hohenstaufen, as I said, were really rich. They drained England from all of the taxes and even more wealth when England had to pay the big ransom for um, Richard the Lionheart. And why was money needed? Well, if you want to become king, as I said, you had to be elected, and to get there, you had to pay the necessary bribes, uh, I mean gifts, to the electing magnates of the empire. So, as I just mentioned a few sentences earlier, do you still remember the fact that Henry VI once captured none other than Richard the Lionheart, the English king, and only let him go in exchange for a large ransom and an oath of fealty to the empire? Good, because this is now really backfiring for the empire, or let's say for the Hohenstaufen dynasty. Even if Adolf of Altena did so unintentionally, inspired by the desire to somehow make this, well, shady electoral assembly in Cologne look legal, the Archbishop of Cologne also sends an invitation card to the English royal court in London to attend, uh, asking Richard Leinhardt to come. After all, the English king is entitled to vote, now being a vassal of the realm since he was captured by uh, the deceased Henry VI. Richard Leinhardt could naturally have been, uh, been angry by the fact that he was invited to the Rhine in medieval Germany like a little prince, being the king of England, but he seizes the opportunity. Richard the Lionheart lays an Uno reverse card, you know, that card game that you like to play as a child, and goes the other way. He does not want to appear as a candidate. He declines the invitation. I'm the King of England. I'm not going like a little duke to Germany and vote for a ruler that has no respect for me. No, Richard wants to be something else. He wants to be a kingmaker. So, Richard the Lionheart sends his own proposal to Cologne for a candidate. The candidate proposed by Richard the Lionheart was a wealth, a member of the very dynasty that had previously fought for years against the Hohenstaufen dynasty as supreme rulers of the empire. The most famous of them was Henry the Lion. Last episode, you know. Archbishop Adolf of Altena of Cologne had really shot himself in the foot with that response. 
the citizens of Cologne and the people of Cologne in general were enthusiastic about Richard's idea. England was the most important trading partner, a ruler who was friendly to England in the empire, so a new king or emperor who was friendly to England, was therefore in the very interests of the city's economic elite, especially the far-distance merchants of Cologne. For the archbishop, however, the idea was anything but cool, as the archbishopric of Cologne, or better said, the secular domain of the archbishopric of Cologne, had expanded massively in Westphalia, only a few years previously at the expense of the wealths with the disempowerment of Henry the Lion. Wouldn't a new wealth ruler, then with the power of an emperor, take it all away from him again? So the Archbishopric of Cologne? That was something that he, Adolf, considered. The citizens of Cologne couldn't care less, of course. The other princes in particular, who had previously spoken out against the Hohenstaufen candidate Philip of Swabia as the new ruler, now abandoned the plan to elect someone else in droves, because they would rather have a power-hungry Hohenstaufen, who could perhaps still be controlled, than a monarch supported by England, who was bent on revenge since being a wealth, uh, being a member of the wealth dynasty. It didn't help that Richard the Lionheart settled on Count Otto of Brunswick Poitou as the wealthic candidate for the throne of the realm after several proposals. For even if Otto did not have much property or money in the empire, he had something else that did not really make him popular. He was a son of the disempowered Henry the Lion, and the son would certainly want to avenge his father, wouldn't he? Adolf of Altena was now in a real quandary. He could not support the Hohenstaufen candidate Philip of Swavia now being uh, the head of the conspiracy against a Hohenstaufen candidate and making a wealth a king, the son of Henry the Lion, that was the biggest enemy of the Archbishopric of Cologne a few years earlier, was not really ideal either. But the people of Cologne, in particular, must have exerted so much pressure on their city ruler, the archbishop, that he, Adolf of Altena, nevertheless opted for the wealth candidate who was supported by England. The large sum of money that Richard the Lion had spent on the archbishop of Cologne also played a part in this decision, I think. Adolf of Altena proclaimed the wealthic candidate the new king in Cologne on June 9th, 1198, making Count Otto von Braunschweig-Poitou, I can't speak French, sorry, Braunschweig-Poitou, Poitou, let's skip that. Well, this Otto of Braunschweig-Poitou now becomes King Otto IV, and later Emperor Otto IV. The coronation ceremony itself then took place in the designated Location in July 1198 in Marienmünster in Aachen, today the Aachen Cathedral. The only problem was that Philip of Swabia had already been proclaimed king himself a few months earlier. Saxon nobles had already elected him king on March 6th in 1198 without the approval of the Archbishop of Cologne, who was in charge, allowed, uh, uh, according to ceremony. And he was not proclaimed 
and coronated king in Aachen neither, which was also needed to become a, the rightful king and later emperor of the empire. So, that means neither side was legitimate. Both lacked the support of all the magnates of the empire, and they both had only a fraction on their side. If the Hohenstaufen Philip of Swabia had the imperial insignia, Otto IV had the right coronation man in the form of the Archbishop of Cologne, and with his coronation in Aachen he had also had the right place to do so. As I said, no one could really claim to be the rightful ruler at that moment. The Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, the heir of the Roman Empire, had now two rulers. One ruler from the house of the Hohenstaufen, significantly supported by Saxon elites, and then the ruler from the house of the Welfs, who had his main power here on the Rhine, primarily with Cologne. Two rulers in the Holy Roman Empire that actually only had one ruler, just as there was only one God in heaven. Having two rulers, that was a problem. A very big problem, you can guess why. The citizens of Cologne and the city ruler of Cologne, Archbishop Adolf of Altena, had not only decided in favor of the wealth candidates, on the contrary, they, the citizens of Cologne and the Archbishop, had been instrumental in ensuring that he, Otto IV, was even considered as a candidate in the empire. By making contact with Richard the Lionheart and then crowning the desired relative as king, Cologne played a significant role in ensuring that the empire would be mixed up in a dispute over the throne for the foreseeable future. And how was such a dispute over the throne resolved? With working groups and video chats? No, of course, as it sadly is still today mostly with violence. From then on, both sides waged war on each other. However, Adolf of Altena was probably not entirely on the side of King Otto IV of the Welf dynasty. Words quickly spread in the city of Cologne that the lord of the city was only apparently on the English side, so on the side of Otto IV of the Welf dynasty. The latter was happy to accept the money from the English king for his support and for the coronation, but he was probably not really in favor of Otto IV. You know why, I told you, because he was a Welf. The citizens of Cologne were furious about this. As I said, they still remembered their bad experiences with the Hohenstaufen emperor, such as Barbarossa. And they were enthusiastically on the side of Otto IV, mainly, of course, to protect their trade relations with England. Because trade with England, as you already know from an earlier episode, was far more lucrative for Cologne than trade with other trading points in the empire or elsewhere. In England, Cologne merchants had rights and advantages and privileges as if there were natives there, much to the displeasure of other merchants in Europe such as those from Flanders. This is why the citizens of Cologne were, as already mentioned, enraged by the increasingly obvious half-hearted partisanship of their city lord for Otto IV. If the lord of the city did not help Otto IV militarily, then it would be without him, they thought, in the city. And here, we come back to the beginning of the episode, to the debate between the townspeople of Cologne, with Richard Parfuse, who listened to the town meeting in horror. How do we even know about this exchange of words 
Quite simply, the Cologne Royal Chronicle describes the events of those days in detail. A chronicle that was written between 1150 and 1220, probably first in Siegburg Abbey and later in neighboring Cologne. The beauty of it, as already mentioned, we learn the names of many Cologne citizens. This was quite different during the uprising against Anno in Cologne in 1074. All the names of the rebels had been omitted back then. But now we hear of all those names. This discussion within the municipality is also the first written evidence of citizens in Cologne discussing politics with each other and among themselves. This had not previously existed in historical sources. It had existed, surely, but it was never recorded. So the people of Cologne were perceived, before that, as a single mass that made decisions, for example, on support for Henry IV, but whether there were voices of dissent was not recorded back then. Here in October 1198, however, things are different. Here we learn the names and positions of some men in the discussion about how to behave in this dispute over the throne. Richard Parfuse was on the cautious side and may have, have, may have said the following at the meeting. Of course, our trade and our relationship with England is of enormous importance, dear citizens. But should we really go so far as to go to war for it? We would be seen as partisans of the English, conspiring against the empire. I don't want a Hohenstaufen as emperor either, but I also don't want to put our city at risk in a war for foreign-backed monarch. Gerhard Zafir then spoke out in favor of taking up arms on the side of Otto IV. He said, Dear Richard, you may be content with those uh, little farms you got there in the northwest corner of the Roman Wall in our city, but we merchants are dependent on trade with England. Trade with our immediate neighbors in the region is not even a fraction worth of that. For decades, the English kings have courted and privileged us. We were surely aware that this would come at a political cost to us someday. And that day has come now. There was thunderous applause, which was hardly surprising as the rich members of the Richardseche were mostly merchants or powerful and influential officials of the archbishop, and so both were on the side of Otto IV. All these events are 800 years or more than 800 years ago, but still, we learn a little bit about those two speakers. Richard Parfuse was something that can still make you a lot of money today. He was a real estate agent, above all renting out market stalls, had made him very wealthy. Richard's mother, Bertrades, came from the powerful bourgeois Cologne family von der Mühlengasse, so in translated English of the Miller's Alley. We had already introduced this family in episode 58 for all those who need a refresher. They, the von der Mühlengasse family, lived, of course, where else in Mühlengasse, so Miller's Alley, right in the shadow of Great St. Martin Church and directly between the Old Market and the banks of the Rhine. An extremely fine address in those days, and nowadays as well. Richard lived right next door to the main house of the family von der Mühlengasse, and with his family background for his mother, he had a great deal of prestige. 
He was therefore part of Cologne's patrician class. It is therefore not surprising that Richard was not only a member of the Richardseche, the Brotherhood of the Rich, but had also already attained the office of juror as a result as well. Gerhard Zafir, the supporter of Cologne's entry into the war, also had access to the highest patrician circles in Cologne through his marriage to Gertrud Hardefust. The Hardefust family, hard fist translated into English, was a powerful and distinguished family. You hear about the Hardefust as well in that episode number 58. Zafir also lived prominently in the street Am Malzbüchel, directly south of Heumarkt Square. Many wealthy citizens would later live here in direct view of that square and of the house of um, Gerhard Zafir. First and foremost, the Oberstolzen family, for example, whose 13th century house still stands in Rheingasse Street today. The exact wording is, of course, not known, as I have presented to you here. It, I made that up. I hope you, you, you realize that. Otherwise, I would have said, quote, but the outcome is uh, quite true. On the side of Gerhard Zafir, the wealthy citizens Heinrich Ratze, Gerhard Hundertmark and Heinrich von Zündorf also campaigned for entering the war on the side of Otto IV. And so the Cologne Royal Chronicle reports that Gerhard Zafir probably secured the majority with very emotional gestures and to Richard Parfus's horror they, the citizens of Cologne, agreed to side with Otto IV against the Hohenstaufen, King Philip of Swabia. It immediately became clear that the people of Cologne were serious with their decision. Richard Parfus had merely spoken out in favor of neutrality. However, those citizens who had openly spoken out in favor of the Hohenstaufen candidate were immediately declared enemies of the city by the majority of those assembled and then thrown out of the city. They were banned. But things also got serious outside the city. In the same month, October 1198, the Hohenstaufen king, Philo of Swabia, approached Cologne with a huge army. Otto IV, the Archbishop of Cologne, and the citizens of Cologne marched against him with their own troops and uh, fighters. However, when the wellfish Cologne army saw the size of the Hohenstaufen army, they retreated back to Cologne because the Hohenstaufens, they had, they had more money and thus more soldiers. And just a few days later, Philip was already within two kilometers of the city. For many cities, this would have been the end. But remember, at that time, Cologne had the largest medieval city wall in Cologne. No matter how many knights you had, walls, Trenches and palisades are difficult to overcome. Philip of Swabia also withdrew for the winter. This now resulted in a stalemate. Neither king could claim to have defeated the other. From a mathematical point of view, yes, Philip of Swabia had the better cards, he was richer and had more fighters, but they were of no use to him when the largest city in the empire had impregnable city walls what happened in the fall of 1198 would turn into almost 20 years of conflict over the throne in the empire. And that was only because the city of Cologne almost always held on to the wealth 
Otto IV during this time. Even when the English royal court and even the Archbishop of Cologne were no longer really prepared to support this seemingly hopeless endeavor of a wealth candidate at the head of the empire in the years to come, Cologne, the city of Cologne, the people of Cologne, still sided with Otto IV, keeping him in the game. And if you think Philip of Swabia will just win, yeah, we'll find out another time. There will be some surprises. Dear everyone, that was very political again this time and lots of names. I hope you guys were able to listen. What were my sources for this episode? Mainly because this is a really, really complicated topic. The throne dispute at the beginning of the 13th century. I was really glad to, as many times, have the book Cologne in the High Middle Ages by Karl Dietmar and Hugo Stehkemper. The title in German is, of course, Köln im Hochmittelalter, but that's the English translation of it that I just mentioned. That was my main source. I'm really thankful for those two historians that they tried to make this very complicated topic into an, a text that is easier to understand for a modern historian as I am. Now, we could just continue the next episode with this 20-year dispute over the throne, but I would like to do something easier next time, considering Christmas is coming up and it's the end of the year. And when this episode, the next episode, will come out, it will be Christmas. Really, right on Christmas. It's not that I planned it, but 21 days later, when this episode comes out, it's Christmas in 2023. If you listen to this episode later, it's just some other day for you. But when this episode comes out and you listen to it on the day when it comes out, it will be Christmas 2023. So you guys know that I like legends and sagas about Cologne. And we haven't even covered some that fall into this era in the podcast yet. We have to do that. We should definitely do that. So next time we will look into some legends and sagas of Cologne from that period. Many thanks to my newest Patreons. And the, yes, not only did I get a new Patreon, but two at the same time. And yes, those are really their names. The first one is CCAA and the other one is A. Fox. Thank you very much. Many thanks also to the people who gave me a little tip via PayPal. This time it was Bernhard, Ulrich, Antje, Jürgen and Sylvia. Thank you very much. As always, I look forward to a rating in your favorite podcast app and would be happy if you would recommend me further to others. Up until then, thank you very much for listening. It's a really stressful time so shortly before Christmas. I hope it was not um, I hope it did not affect the quality of this episode. If it did, next time I will do better. Thank you very much and as always, auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>